Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dana Torito, a writer and Alzheimer's advocate. On my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, I strive to calm your fears about the disease through thoughtful conversations with experts, care partners, and more. Action is the antidote for fear. Listen to The Memory Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. In this episode, Sarah and I are going to be discussing kids and screens, the topic of screen time, the content, the various rules we have in our house or general philosophies, what we've seen other people do and are thinking on that. So lots of different topics in there to discuss. So Sarah, well, first, this is going to be part of a, a series of episodes on screen time. So we'll we'll get to adults and screens later. And we've got a, a great guest coming up as well to talk about, about you know, young adults and, and screens as well. So, Sarah, you just had a screen-free month experiment in your house. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, what led to it, and sort of how it went, any discoveries you had in the course of doing so. Yeah. And I guess I want to preface this episode by noting that this is one of those areas where there is 
no obvious right answer. And you can even see that illustrated in the fact that Laura and I definitely handle screen time a bit differently. Part of that due to the ages of our kids and partly just due to the choices we've made with our partners and and other stakeholders. And we're hoping that this episode does not come off as prescriptive, but rather that it will help demonstrate that it's an area which does require some thought if you haven't put thought into it, and probably many of you have. And just maybe some examples of what's worked, what hasn't, you know, things you might not have, have thought about, et cetera. So this is a, is a little bit of a complex topic, but one that's on so many of our minds. And that's why we decided that it deserved its own place as perhaps our very first series. <laughs> yes, our series. Because it's a topic that parents do need to deal with these days, and particularly as your kids get into the age range where they start to deal with the world independently and pretty much everyone does have electronic access of some variety or another. It's also an area where I think a lot of people's thoughts may change as their children get older and as they experience parenthood and all its ups and downs and how children interact with the world these days as well. I mean, I know Sarah and I both find it somewhat hilarious the number of people who do not have children or, you know, don't have you know children who would have independent access to screens who have very, very strong feelings about this. <laughs> so my sort of general thought is somebody without children um, maybe needs to not be quite so vocally uh, hardcore about all this, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And that's that's been a criticism I've seen of some there was a childless author who wrote a very, very screen damning book. And that was part of the critique. And it was a fair one. So, all right, I'm not going to name names there. But let's get into screen free May. So why did I decide to do this? So just to refresh, my kids are five, nine and 11. We're not in middle school yet. We're still finishing up elementary school. Annabelle will be in middle school next year. And we had done a screen-free month before in 2022. I believe it was screen-free March. And somewhere in the interval between then and now, we just did find ourselves at a crossroads where the kids were spending more time on screens that we felt was good. And a lot of the content of what they were doing seemed to have negative consequences with respect to their emotional regulation, behavior, etc. And we absolutely take responsibility for that. We're the ones that have provided the screens. We're the ones that have given them the time to do that. Often that can be relaxing time for us. So that needs to be said that, you know, it's not like, oh, my my kids were sucked into a vacuum. Like we we enabled the vacuum to happen. And I think there was like a day where we actually decided a while ago that YouTube was not a great content for a kid Genevieve's age for us because everything moves very, very quickly. There's all this kind of like content being made by different families. We felt like a lot of it was felt very selling to them, even whether they didn't realize it. And Genevieve made some comment like, their lives are better than ours. (laughs) So we hadn't even been allowing that. We allowed her to watch PBS Kids and play some games, most of them kind of like world building games. Cameron and Annabelle have a switch and they have access to different video games. And then there's, they don't do social media, but Annabelle will do like some group texts and um, like Facebook Messenger kids, not to a huge extent, which I think is important because 
Screen Free May felt okay and felt right because I don't have a kid whose entire social life depends on use of the screen yet. People with older kids have pointed out they they couldn't do that. And I totally get that. And I'm not even suggesting that we would do that when maybe two years from now, it wouldn't make any sense. But for us at this juncture, it just felt like we had gotten to an excessive point and it was easier to just draw a very hard line because I felt like the kids needed practice doing other things and finding other ways to entertain themselves because they had really just kind of like lost any desire to do non-screen activities for the most part. I mean, with some exceptions like organized sports and stuff like that. But if they were given any second of screen of free time, they wanted to be on a screen. So screen free May, there wasn't a lot of pushback. I think they just kind of accepted that it wasn't pushback wasn't going to really work. So it wasn't like we were having to fight protests every day. We did have some exceptions built in, like they were allowed to watch movies all together on various Friday and Saturday nights. If we, Especially if we had a babysitter, we didn't want to punish the babysitter by saying they have to be entirely screen free. And there was one two day period where Josh and I went away and they were with our nanny. And I'm like, you know what, they can have screens during that time. Because again, I didn't want to make it harder for somebody else. And it was honestly not nearly as hard as I thought it might be from a parenting perspective. They really did find other stuff to do. They read more books than they have read in a long time. One kid in particular did a lot more outside. Another kid, ironically, got a flip phone during this time. And (laughs) that's Annabelle. She's, again, fifth grade. So we can get into that in a little bit, but has been enjoying some more independence and like going for walks with a friend with her phone around the neighborhood and feeling more grown up. And I'm not sure they would have wanted to do these activities, these building activities, these sport activities, reading more if they had such an easy alternative ubiquitously available. And so that was really, really nice to see. I also felt like they were overall calmer. Were they easy and calm? No, my kids are not easy and calm. Sorry, kids, if you're listening. I mean, you're wonderful, but we're not like, we're not one of those super quiet (laughs) households. There's a lot of energy and that was still there, but the edge was taken off and I don't think there were any negative social consequences again because it it wasn't really that long. It was one month, not a year and because of the ages of the kids. And now I've talked for a really long time, but I will say I'm glad we did it. I don't know if we'll do it again. I think as the kids get older, it will feel less appropriate, but it really worked for us right now. And I think that we're going to be able to help kind of bring back screens in moderation. That's the tricky part to to help them still enjoy some of that screen time, but maintaining the desire to read and go for walks with friends and do other things. Yeah, it's interesting. We we wouldn't do a screen-free month just, I mean, for, for many reasons. But yeah, I mean, with older kids, that is how they plan their social lives. I mean, they're on their phones to text and set stuff up. You know, there's uh, group video game type things that that happen as well. And I think, you know, you can't, as you said, going phone free in 2023 does not make it 1995. You can't recreate that world just by taking your own kids' screens away. So our approach is, is always a little bit more, I don't know, we limit when people can have their devices 
And if there has been a specific issue with a child being unable to deal with something, then we will take away that particular kid's stuff. And that's, I mean, with five, you, you can kind of do that when they're all different ages. Uh, so, so that's been sort of our philosophy in the rule in our house is on weeknights, the big kids need to have no devices, no screens in their rooms at nine. And then lights out is 10. And that kind of works from the sequence that when people need to wake up in the morning. Weekends, probably a little bit more of a free-for-all. But the honest truth is we're also just busy. So there's less time available for screens than, you know, it's not like 168 hours that they're available. Um, so, so yeah, that's what, what we kind of do. See, the busyness is great. I think that should be emphasized as like the ideal strategy to, you know, for kids and adults alike, now that we're talking about adults today, but if you're doing other stuff, you're getting together with people in real life, you are doing some kind of activities, you are, you still know, can have enough attention span to read a book, et cetera, then probably spending whatever time is, is left also barring for getting enough sleep and not having blue light in your eyes, maybe right before you go to sleep, although I know that's debated, then you're probably good. I struggle because my observation with some kids, and I'm not even necessarily talking about my kids, but obviously I see a lot of kids at work as well. There are some kids that would choose not to do any activities and maybe not to do their homework and not to see friends because they prefer whatever the online modality is. And like a 13 or 14 year old brain lacks that frontal cortex reasoning ability to say like, well, if I don't do my homework, then my future won't be great. <laughs> I do feel like some of these technologies are, they have an incredible pull. And when you have like an immature reasoning system, <laughs> like that's, that's not a great combination for some kids. And I don't have an answer for that because again, I don't think cold turkey or abstinence is going to work for your average 10th grader. But at the same time, I'm kind of looking ahead to like, what if that is the scenario? And I don't have a great answer, but I, I think it would look something like sort of requiring that you have the other elements of life in place to maintain your screen privileges, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick ad break. We'll be more back with more on kids and screens. Hey, listeners, after five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers, and I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7, 
and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Today's episode is sponsored by Thrive Cosmetics. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. They are made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademarked formulas, and using uncompromising standards. I've learned that the things I value most in my skincare and makeup are efficiency, quality, and ease of use. I have found all of these and more in Thrive Cosmetics. Lately, I've been super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. This is a flake-free tubing formula that never clumps, and trust me, if I can get it to look good, anyone can. The other wonderful thing about Thrive is that Cause is in their name for a reason, with every purchase supporting organizations that help communities thrive. I love supporting a company that truly gives back. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash bestof for 20% off your first order. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we are back talking about kids and screens, and Sarah was bringing up the point of some children not being able to regulate and not doing well with the the independence of being able to choose when they can be on it. And I think this is really just part of getting to know your own children and figuring out what works for them. And I I mean we have some house rules and we also do some things differently within individual kids, you know, that they're different people have different needs and different things work for different kids and I think you can definitely have stricter guidelines in place for a child who needs more support versus one who doesn't. And that's, you know, you can explain it too. Like, I mean, somebody's grades are better than someone else's. I mean, that is a pretty straightforward thing. And you can say, well, it. I mean, it may be that one child is more academically oriented than another. Again, you want to celebrate whatever is great about each individual child, but given that you probably do have some minimum standard for how you perform in school, it would totally be reasonable to say, well, child A always gets his or her homework done. So we just need to broadly say, take away screens at this time before you go to bed, trusting it will get done. Child B needs to sit at the kitchen table and do his or her homework 
after a short decompression time after school, but they have this time that they have to sit down and work on it because otherwise it won't get done. And I don't think that's unfair. I think it's just based on individual children being who they are. And if if child B over time decides that they want to establish a system where they do it better and check in with you and, and show that they can handle it, then maybe child B could get more freedom and privileges over time. Yeah, I like that. I like the customizability and keeping each kid in mind because absolutely I can think, I mean, my kids are younger, so I don't, I'm not like as into that world, but I, I feel like on the online world, I have a lot of blogger friends who have kids in that like middle school, high school age range. And some of them seem like they have beautifully adjusted approaches to screens. Like they do some screens, but they're also playing two varsity level sports and they have a social life. And like to make a blanket statement that like, phones are evil and they shouldn't have one like it doesn't seem at least outwardly to that kid to be doing any harm so I I think that blanket statements and generalizations can be really difficult to make in this realm you had a a kind of process of thinking about it like when kids are little it's more you can tell them when they can have screens right and yeah I it kind of like I think it was um it was actually a blog comment from a reader and patreon member Kay that kind of like like this light bulb went on, which is like, at some point you go from telling your kids when they can have screens to perhaps the next step being when they're older, you tell them when they can't have screens because they've kind of demonstrated a readiness to regulate it on their own. They're doing other things and maybe they still need a little help knowing not to have their phone with notifications with them as they're doing homework, because that's going to be a lot more fun than homework and probably very distracting or to like you do in your house stop using screens a certain amount of time before bed because, you know, it can impact sleep and and cause stress, et cetera. And it's just nice to have like kind of a boundary to that activity. So when you've got your four-year-old, it's like, oh, you can have your screen on like two to four on Saturday afternoons or whatever you've decided. I'm not prescribing to anybody what their limits should be. But when they're they're 12 it's or maybe 15, it's like, oh, you know, you can have your phone except for X, Y, Z. And I think that could be like an interesting interesting way to think about things. Yeah. So when you wound up buying, as you said, a dumb phone for Annabelle, like what, what went into that decision? Why, why did you get the product that you got? And what are, what are some other things that you looked at? Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many different options and it also, I think really depends on what the other families are doing and what the school environment looks like. I mean, if you have a robust network of parents that are doing the wait until eighth thing, because you're trying to make it 1995 in the middle school, and you have like a large proportion of kids doing that, it might work. I mean, I kind of think like the more people are going a less tech route, the less frustrating that's going to be for the kids. But that's not really, that's not where I live. That's not my situation. So we felt like it was time to get our almost middle schoolers some kind of device to be able to reach us in certain cases. And also, you know, to text and stuff like that. Although she has an iPad and really... It's almost like we just don't want her to have the ability to whip out that entertainment machine at any impulse or any moment because we still want her to be able to do those group chats and whatever, you know, when she's home. And like when we have said it's like, okay, time to do that, if that makes sense. We just didn't, we weren't ready to like to kind of be like, okay, free for all, go for it. So we went with the kind of dumb phone idea, which is it's like a Nokia flip phone. It still has internet. You can get Google Maps, but it's like not very fast to use. 
we're not allowing social media at this juncture, but she can text, she can call, she can take pictures, she can send pictures, etc. Other people have gone the Gab or Gizmo device, which is kind of like very similar to that, kind of like a lockdown smartphone that only has certain features and is very safe and very monitored. A lot of those also come with like GPS tracking so that parents can like know where their kids are in the neighborhood. There's also the Apple Watch route. Actually, that's been, I've heard more and more kind of fifth grade, sixth grade parents say they just get their kid an Apple Watch with data because, you know, there's very limited distraction potential with that, but it's still a good and fairly reliable communication device. So I've seen that like more and more. And then, you know, they may have, again, a laptop or an iPad at home to do other things, but they're not able to just do everything wherever. And then there are parents that that go the smartphone route, of course. And I think different levels of involvement and monitoring of what goes on on that phone. And I think there's no one right solution for every single kid. We've actually not worried as much about the monitoring, which hopefully that won't come to be an error, but instead kept lines of communication very, very open. Like, you know, if you see anything on the screen that like confuses you or you want to talk about and like, just we're not the kind of parents that I think are scary to talk about that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping that that will allow us, prevent us from like having to use alternative means of being surveillance. I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. So our family policy so far has been that you can get a phone for your 11th birthday, which is roughly what you did then too, that, that she turned 11 and she got a phone. We've generally gotten the kids an older model smartphone. So not the newest one, but uh, often getting them refurbished a couple of years old, because the goal is not to spend too much money on something that I feel is highly likely to get lost. <laughs> and, uh, although less so, we, we actually have not had that much, you know, I assume that children who would like leave their coats on buses and, you know, leave glasses wherever would lose their smartphones too. But it turns out it's like, glued to them. I don't know. They don't lose those quite as easily. So that's when they get that. And then after two years or so of of responsible usage thereof can upgrade to a newer model. That's generally been what we do. It's, they've used them differently. I mean, yeah, everyone watches videos on it and texts with their friends. Ruth has not really used her phone as much. She hasn't liked having it with her. I think she has her iPad. And so it turned out she could text friends from that as well. That's actually been something that I hadn't thought as much about needing to monitor versus social media. Because everyone's like, oh, social media, you know, make sure they're not exposed to anything. But you can give your kids private accounts or be very explicit, like you are not allowed to follow anything. Like if they ever say something that is does X, Y, or Z. These are all things like red flags that you absolutely cannot follow. Don't do it. You know, and those are very easy rules to at least explain. I mean, hopefully whether they follow through on it is a different matter, but you you can kind of be more clear on stuff like that. But the children that you interact with and that you do group texts with, they're your kids' peers and they have good days and they have bad days and they have... Some have stricter rules on when and what they can text and some don't and some have more, you know, that frontal lobe thing of thought through whether this is a good idea to send this message versus not. 
And so that's something that I've found a need to monitor more and remind kids that you can exit a group chat or just silence it if you don't want people to know that you exited, you know, just say, but, or even just that if something happens in the group chat that you are uncomfortable with, that you absolutely can tell an adult and that would be a good idea. And um, so that's something that I've, you know, hadn't really thought about as much, but is more something that I think parents will need to think about than what strangers are telling your kid on the internet. I will admit one of the reasons we didn't just, we actually have like an old iPhone lying around that we could have just stuck a SIM card in, but somebody warned me about AirDrop being used really indiscriminately in like middle school and high school settings. And like, I wasn't ready to navigate that yet. Like the idea that someone, I mean, I guess someone could also text, but someone, the ability to like, just like dump whatever photos onto your kid's phone at any time that like, I wasn't quite ready for that. And that was something I wasn't aware of, but apparently there's a lot of like cruelty and uncomfortable stuff that happens. But yeah, I think again, lines of communication, like if that happens, like it should be no more secret than if they dropped a photo on your desk, like a physical photo, right? Like it's, it's still real just because it's in your phone doesn't, doesn't mean it's like governed in some separate online universe. Yeah. But the thing is, we have to help kids learn to navigate this stuff in general, because they are going to be in this world. And so you can pretend that it's 1995, but then you're launching a kid out into the world where they're going to need a phone for their job or whatever. And they completely have had no experience with how to deal with the world. And I, I think learning it through you, it's just, it's like learning to drive. It, it's something that, yes, you can learn it as an adult. And maybe there are, your brain is more developed at that point. But you also, you can learn those skills over time under your parents as well as a chance to share some of your values. And one of the, you know, we've got a great interview coming up, I think next week in that screen episode, but we talk about oftentimes people are like, well, don't post X, don't say X online because you won't get into a good college. You won't get into, uh, you know, you won't get a good job later or something like that, which that's its own separate thing to navigate. But the truth is, it's not, that shouldn't be why you don't want your kids doing that. It says you don't want people to be cruel and they can be cruel online and they can be cruel in person. And you as a parent want to be sharing the value of like, we do not behave cruelly to people in this family. And that's, this is what it means in person. And this is what it means online. And that stems from there, you know, that you wouldn't post mean pictures of someone or say something that was insensitive to somebody because of, I don't know, you know, whatever their disability or where they're from or anything, because you're not a cruel person and that would make them feel bad. And regardless of whether you're, you know, not going to get into college because you did it, is that we want to be empathetic human beings. And that's the message you are trying to convey. Yeah. It's tough though, because, you know, as you were saying that and about the driving, part of me is like, again, going back to the level of neurological development and like unleashing all of these early pubertal brains with these systems, it's it's a lot. And there might be something to be said for like, 
being more mature by the time you're able to interact in that way. But again, we can't, there's not really anything we can do. Like that cat is out of the bag, unfortunately. And unless there is a society wide shift in what people are going to allow their kids to do, which I don't necessarily see happening, especially not on a, like a widespread basis, then we don't really have a choice anyway. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick ad break and we will be back with more on kids and screens. Well, we are back talking kids and screens. So Sarah, how do you see your kids and screens sort of, how do you see this evolving over time? I mean, kids do cool stuff online as well. Yeah, no, we're, I mean, we're definitely not going to like stay a Luddite screen-free family or anything like that. I mean, I I can't evolve too many years in advance because my kids are going to change. I don't know what they're going to need. I don't know how they're going to respond to different things. So I don't even want to like put myself into the prediction of like what I'll do when they're in high school or something like that. I think in the next year or so, we will kind of, I think some kids in my family might be ready to like move towards that. Like this is when you can't have screen situation and others are not going to be ready for that. And they're still going to be stuck with the, this is when you can have screens kind of a situation. And I agree. Some screen time can be, again, the social screen time is great. YouTube, like when it's used in a non-five-year-old frenetically browsing kind of a way, if you're using it to like learn how to do something, do a craft or like learn some science concept, there's some like really great creators out there. So I'm not knocking all of it at all. I enjoy watching planner videos with Annabelle. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just going to be a more moderate version of what we were doing before and remaining open to what my kids need going forward and also staying in communication with other parents. I think this is a a topic where it is really, really good to talk to the other middle school parents about how they're handling it because as much as your kid will come home and say, oh, everyone has, you know, an iPhone 20. Not that that exists yet, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm sure it'll be here eventually. (laughs) It may be really helpful to get the story of how others are helping their kids navigate this as well. Yeah, I have been told that other parents don't take away their kids' devices at night. And I'm like, well, that's great for them. (laughs) And I know because sometimes the phones, which sleep in my husband and my bedroom area, are not where I can hear them. But uh, they do, in fact, silence them because they will ding in the middle of the night with kids who are texting. You know, somebody didn't think about it and thought they'd do it. I, you know, I don't know. So I know that some people have not taken them away, or perhaps their children have sneakily gotten them back. I, I don't really know what's going on in other people's people's households. But uh, yeah, you absolutely can figure out what rules work for your family. And I think that I would prefer to just not have that battle every single night. And so because of that, the phones can stay with me. And there are certain trade-offs then you have to make. Like I generally do need to go check that people are up in the morning or wake them up because that's what you would automatically use as an alarm clock. And you can get old-fashioned alarm clocks, but they're often a wee bit more complicated to shift around and whatever. So, you know, because of that, I do wind up going to get them in the morning, but that's fine. I think that the community aspect is, I like that the kids set up their own get-togethers, you know, by texting, they can create their own social life. One thing I'm definitely cognizant of with lots of little boys is that many 
young men and, and boys in general really enjoy video gaming and do it as a social group activity, right? That you are all playing a game together. You are, I don't know what, I don't entirely follow it, but you know, you're all battling on the team and, and, and it's a strategy thing together. And just because I didn't do that growing up doesn't mean it's less valid as a way of interacting with your friends and having a social life than whatever I would have come up with. So I certainly don't want to come in being like, ooh, this is this is bad because they're on screens and that's not really interacting with your friends. So I'm I'm very aware of that. And, you know, we're really not that much on social media yet. Uh, only only Jasper has very limited social media that he does. And I, I just, he doesn't do that much of it even. We follow each other and you know, I'm aware of what, what he's posting, but I'm not sure that that's entirely what, some kids are probably more into it than others, but I'm sure they'll come up with stuff that's totally different than what we would be. I'm sure they all think that like Facebook is for geezers at this point. No, they definitely don't use, I mean, they still use Snapchat. It seems like in the middle school age group, they like TikTok, they like Insta, sort of, I don't know. I think they like TikTok more. I mean, there there does seem to be some fairly compelling data that especially for teenage girls that heavier use of social media may be associated with like more mental health issues and a lot of body image stuff, confidence stuff. And that is a category of content that I, I'd like to push off for as long as possible and make sure that, again, open lines of communication around them, because I think you can end up like in like a very compelling like fake world in social media, particularly if you're suffering from certain mental health issues that could be very unhealthy because it breaks off communication from others who might be able to help you in the real world. So I don't know. I mean, there are certainly some helpful resources as well. And I feel like TikTok, especially I don't use TikTok, but I, from what I've heard, like there's a lot positive about like being open about mental health struggles and like where to find help and, and things like that. So I get it. This is not all black and white, but I do feel like to me that that's where the minefields seem like they are. And I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm doing at this point with the ages of my kids. I just, I know I'm going to have my guard up. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Put your guard up, but everything is the world we create with our, with our online, you know, what we choose to follow. And, and that's, you know, partly what it shows us. And with young girls in particular, I think, What's kind of cool as all this has developed is when we were growing up, there were only the newsstand magazines. That and whatever you saw on TV was the image of beauty. And because of that, it was fairly narrow. You know, at least in the 80s and 90s, people were starting to recognize that there were not only white women in the world, but they were still all very, very skinny, right? And, you know, it's this one, one body shape. And that's what you see and compare yourself to. Whereas I think that precisely because social media has allowed for more content creators to be out there, you see a wider variety of attractive people. <laughs> and they're just, it wouldn't have made it over the gatekeepers what they would have allowed into these narrow range of magazines, but because it's whatever people click on, whatever they view. You just have more diversity in that. And because of that, you get different body shapes. You get people with birthmarks of all things, you know, or freckles or teeth that look different or, you know, whatever. It, then obviously diversity in terms of skin color and background and you know, all that. So 
I think that's one of the the cooler things about it. So, you know, it's there are upsides. <laughs> yeah. I take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because every teenager I see trying to take a picture of themselves is still trying to contort themselves into as thin appearing as possible. <laughs> like, like I don't think just because there are more creators, and it's wonderful, I agree with you, that there's more creators out there, doesn't mean that people haven't still have have like abandoned the the prior quote unquote ideals and that social media can't be a tool for people to kind of test out different looks and see what people quote unquote like and like become very upset if they don't like this or like I just yeah you can tell I mean I I think there are some great things I think it's also a minefield I don't yeah. think I'm going to change my thoughts about that well and you know and then there's also the question of like if kids are creative like and have things that they want to share with the world there's also some upsides there. There was briefly a, a period where, where Jasper was thinking of starting a podcast. And yeah, you know, that's just something like you wouldn't have even had a ability to do 20, 30 years ago that you have this idea that you can put out there or, you know, kids who are into photography or art or, you know, that you can share your writing with the world. I mean, you know, when I was learning to write, it was very much you had to go through the gatekeepers. And so there's a limited amount of stuff that can get out there and, and it's harder to get a start. And that's less less the case now. And and so I think that's, you know, a cool upside too. Or or making friends with people who are like you, but who aren't in your geographic location. And I think that is you know, the ability to find online communities of like-minded people is another really cool thing. So any child who has, you know, a neurological difference or who, you know, has some sort of special need, that there are communities of people like that that you might be the only person like you in your school, but you are certainly not the only person like you in the world. And you can make friends with other children who are going through similar things and be part of these online communities as well. So, you know, that's, that's an upside too. That one's an upside. I can, I can get behind that one. You I mean, totally I can get behind get both of them. I just, there's both. That's just a mixed that's picture. Right. Nothing is all good or bad, right? Like, I mean, technology as it is, it's a tool. And you can use it for good. You can use it for evil. Most of us are somewhere in the, you know, banality of the middle, right? And, and, and that's, that's how we, we tend to act or interact with these things. And I think our kids will, will find that as well. So pivoting to today's question. So this is from a listener who uh, was thinking about planning and such and and then listen to us talk about what was it our was this our list of 100 dreams episode or something dreams, yeah yes. and I, I mentioned the highlights retreat highlights foundation retreat center in the poconos as a place that i would like to do a writing retreat sometime that somebody suggested to me but it was booked when i was looking but anyway it wasn't booked for when this listener was looking so she heard it found it went loved it but anyway, she asked us going into this event of how she should structure her days at a retreat in order to, you know, have realistic expectations, but also make the most of this deep thinking time. And she said specifically, she had sort of Monday to Thursday. She had two full days in the middle and two half days on either side. How would you structure a retreat where you're trying to get some stuff done? Also relax and enjoy yourself. Use the deep thinking time. Sarah, what would you do? Yeah, I would definitely go in with a bit of a plan and I would not be too ambitious with your plan. Like, I think that is the way to kill the mood on your retreat is give yourself 50 things to do and then be like frustrated when you can't get them done. I also think you should kind of decide 
or think about deciding in advance that like you're going to be done at a certain time. So you really can have that deep rest. And like, you know, if, if you've decided that shutdown is 4 p.m., then of course, if, if the, the muse strikes you and you end up going farther, fine, but it gives you a nice out. And then you kind of know like, okay, I've already given myself permission to just enjoy like a walk in the woods and like a really restful night of sleep and, you know, whatever it is. And I would try to I mean, if it were me, I'd probably do some sort of like combination of like concrete work and like more dreamy work, like, you know, editing some draft, but then also like give myself freedom to take a walk and think about my next project. So yeah, this sounds amazing. I'm very excited for you. I just think the biggest pitfall would be going in with like the idea that you're going to get like an unrealistic number of things done that will kill your mood and then will ruin your (laughs) relaxation. So don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. When I have taken these sorts of retreats, it has always been because I have a project that is in a specific state, whereas that it is close to done. It's pretty good. But I would like to fully get myself in the brain space of editing it. And meaning that I'm not dealing with family matters. I don't have to stop at a specific time. I can just sort of keep going as I need to. And so, you know, that's when I've got a book in that stage. And it doesn't take long to get through these books when you're like it, because I'm just editing fairly quickly as I'm going through. But it's I'm absorbing one chapter after another. I'm not like artificially stopping because like Monday I do chapter two and then Tuesday I do chapter three. And well, you know, who knows? Is the chap the transition between chapter two and chapter three good? I, but I've had a whole day. So what do I know? I, you know, I, whereas the reader won't have that if they aren't stopping in between each chapter. So um, that's when I have generally taken those. And so because of that, it is primarily driven by the work. You know, what I do, I need to eat, but I try to kind of minimize the time devoted to that. I'll often have stuff in my room even. I do tend to like run in the morning just because it's a good way to get up and get moving. And then we'll work and work. And then at some point, you still do need a break. So that's like a good time to get like a sandwich out and then go for a little walk. I, I find that... If I didn't have kind of my family around me and the structures and the times when I haven't had my ideal work is, you know, I start in the morning and go to sort of mid afternoon, take some time off and then kind of go in the afternoon, maybe, you know, eat something, but possibly even eat it at my computer and go into the night, like go to 11 o'clock at night with it. And so that's what I try to do on those retreats is, is have the kind of midday break and then do the work around it at the times when I would do it if I didn't have the sort of family responsibilities that I have. But yeah, make sure that you can do what you're going to, because you want to come out of this retreat feeling successful. So I guess I wouldn't really take a retreat saying, I want to think deep thoughts because that's a little bit of pressure. Like, what are those deep thoughts? I don't know. I mean, maybe you'll think deep thoughts, but I would give yourself a specific thought that you want to think deeply about. Like, I want to come up with three things I could pursue, like three research projects I could pursue over the next year, right? Like those, that would be a question you could have a more focused look at or else something like I did. Like I want to get through this project and finish it over the course of the retreat. So yeah, that's what I would do. Love it. Yours definitely sounds more grueling than hers, but different goals, right? You were like, this is my chance getting it done. And she said (laughs) she wanted to recuperate and work on a little research. So maybe slightly different agenda, but and I love that, like, give yourself permission to, like, deep thoughts, but with a structure. With a structure. Think of, I want to have three, like, deliverables by the end. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. 
All right. So love of the week, Sarah. I'm going to say um, I just put a, a white noise app on my phone. We were in a place. Uh, we were just recording this after a holiday weekend and had multiple ones of us in one room. And it just helps with everyone sleeping because if somebody's making noise while sleeping, then the white noise kind of drowns it all out. And, you know, it's just uh, you can turn it up quite loud and it doesn't keep people from sleeping if it sounds like wind or a fan or something like that. So, yeah, it was a, I paid for an app that makes white noise, but I felt like then it would keep going. Whereas I don't know, try and pull it up on YouTube. Who knows? We'll be listening to some ad in the middle of the night and that would destroy the whole benefit to it. So there you go. I've done that on Apple Music and it's bad because it, it'll, it'll be like white noise. Then it will stop and do like a different kind of white noise. Yeah. Like, no, that's not what I didn't want. want that different kind of white noise. <laughs> so I think that's a worthwhile app. Definitely. Especially because like it's replacing a whole machine that you could buy. So it's probably cheaper than than that. My love of the week is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which I'm sure will be available for streaming soon, maybe by the time this airs, because it's kind of on its way out of theaters, but saw with Annabelle. and Which your was... kids could then have on screens. <laughs> yes. It's such a good movie. Like, I just, I read the book 20 times, as I did with most of her books growing up, and they were really, really true. Like, I mean, I remembered specific lines. Like, they did an amazing job adapting that, and it's such a great book anyway, so. I'm just glad I got to do that while it was still in theaters. Yay. Yay. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been talking about kids and screens. This is the first part in our three-part series on kids. Well, I mean, on screens. We're doing kids and screens this time. I'm going to be talking to Devorah Heitner next week on growing up in public and uh, her expert opinion on, on kids and screens and such. And, and then we'll be talking about our own screen time habits in a later episode. So please keep tuning in. And we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all. And for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dana Torito, a writer and Alzheimer's advocate. On my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, I strive to calm your fears about the disease through thoughtful conversations with experts, care partners, and more. Action is the antidote for fear. Listen to The Memory Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday... 
My newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.